I remember back in 2003, uh, there was a Monday night football game on. And I know some of you guys don't like football. Sorry, I'm using this analogy. Um, um, There's a football game on and the Indianapolis Colts were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Colts. Um, so when Peyton Manning was QBing for the, the Colts and so when the Bucks just had this amazing defense, Warren Sapp and John Lynch and all these just incredible defensive players. And I remember turning the game on and I was just, my heart was totally pulling for the Colts and I wanted them to win so bad. Well, uh, this game was not turning out how I wanted to. In fact, going into the fourth quarter, the Colts were down 35 to 14. And I remember just like, you know, if you're a football fan, you know, going into the fourth quarter, four minutes left of the game, you're down three touchdowns. This game is just over. And so I turned the TV off, went to sleep, uh, went to school the next morning and my friends ran up to me and they said, did you see that game? And I'm like, yeah, the game was terrible. The Colts lost, the, the Bucks just had their way. And they said, no, the Colts scored four touchdowns in the last four minutes of the game and came back and won. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I turned that off. Like, like this unbelievable, almost insurmountable. They came back and they did it. I was thinking about this story that we're going to be in this week. And, uh, you know, this series that we've been in, the book of Mark, we have, we've just been meticulously looking at the man, Jesus Christ. Um, the things that he said, the things that he did, we've just been like putting his life under the microscope so that we can know him. And last week, if you were with us, you know, Dave taught on the cross where, where Jesus died, where he bled and he suffered. And, you know, for the majority of us, um, we spend our entire lives stopping at the cross. Like we, we turn the TV off at the cross. For the majority of us, we, we come into this place and, and, and we're so comfortable, so familiar with the cross, right? Like the cross has become the Christian symbol. It's on our necklaces. It's on church steeples all over the world. Courtney and I have a cross literally above our mantle in our house. Remember one of my friends passed away in high school and his parents got these um, stickers to kind of put on the back of everyone's car so that we could remember him that had his initials and it was put on the form of a cross. And what I was thinking about this week is that as the people of God, we are so comfortable, we are so familiar, we, we, we love the cross because we are so well aware of our sinfulness and our shame that, that so many of us, we come into this place and if we're being brutally honest, we're kicking ourselves because of what we stumbled into last night. And we're mad at ourselves. We don't feel unworthy. We don't even want to be here because of the past week we've had, the past season that we've had of, of living in rebellion. And it's because for the majority of us, we spend our entire lives turning off the TV in the third quarter because we know how the story ends. And what I love about the story that we're going to be in this morning is Jesus shows up and he says, church, there is a fourth quarter. <laughs> and the cross is not where my life ended and it's not where yours ends that there is a fourth quarter where, where Christ came back from the grave. He kicked death in the teeth and he looks at it and he says, Jordan, your life, though you have sinned, you've been given new life. Quit living like it's a third quarter. <laughs> There's a fourth quarter. This morning, here's what I want us to do. We're going to read this story, the, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to look at all the details of this story. 
You can go and find a, uh, someone much smarter, much brighter than I. You know, Tim Keller, you can go find a podcast of his where he kind of walks through these verses and, and explains them verse by verse. Instead, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the event and then I want us to talk about, kind of pan out, look at the, the greater New Testament, talk about the implications of the resurrection. So we're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about the event itself. I want us to talk about what the resurrection means for us as the people of God. And so uh, I invite you to... to Open your Bibles or to open your, your hearts or whatever to, to listen to these words in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42. Jesus has just died on the cross. Starting in verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. So it was preparation day. It's Friday for us. It's the day before Sabbath. Sabbath was Saturday, obviously. Saturday's after Friday. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member, a member of the council or the Sanhedrin, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, he went boldly to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning his centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he gave the corpse to Joseph. Imagine this. Joseph carrying the body of Jesus. Verse 46, so Joseph bought some linen cloth. He took down the body. He wrapped it in the linen and he placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. Verse one of chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they began to ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said to them. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of God from Mark chapter 15 and 16. My confession to you is that for the majority of my life, I've read the res resurrection story um, just like it's any other story, like it's Harry Potter. I've never read Harry Potter, but I know a lot of you have. And so um, I've read the resurrection story like Harry Potter like it's some good information. I've read this story before in Mark 16 and I go, oh, very cool. Like Jesus rose from the grave. Where do you want to go for lunch? For a long time, I've read this story for information. You know, you contrast the way that we read, you know, the, the latest bestseller compared to the way that we viewed Christmas as children. So I remember when my parents, you know, when I was younger, they told me, hey, Brandon, tonight uh, someone is coming down our chimney 
and he's gonna put gifts underneath the Christmas tree. And all you have to do is, is make him some cookies and put out some milk and go to bed early and don't get up at all. And I'm telling you, as a kid, I never heard that story and went, okay. Like as soon as my parents told me that, you could not get me in the kitchen quick enough making those cookies. Like, and I couldn't get to, to bed quick enough because there's something about that story that I understood. I wasn't invited just to, to consume some information, but the, that I was invited to participate. And all week I've been asking myself this question. I think God has just been asking, Brandon, that this has been such a great week for me to, to process this, to think about this story. That the question is this, that, that what did Christ have in mind for us with his resurrection? Like when, when Jesus like triumphed over the grave on that Sunday morning, when he kicked death in the teeth, when, when that stone was rolled away and he walked out triumphantly, do you think that, that his idea of what it would look like for us to live resurrection lives is that we would show up on a Sunday morning and do an awkward meet and greet that we really don't wanna do and then for the next hour, kind of ignore everyone around us so that we can get from God what we want? And then as we leave, we don't say hi to anyone. We, we just kind of go about our week. Do you think that the resurrection of Jesus, he had in mind us showing up on a Sunday morning and being stranger to the person, next, the person sitting next to us? Do you think when, when Jesus rose that, that day in his resurrected form, full of power and joy and holiness in life, do you think he had in mind for us to, to hear this story and to go, thank goodness, now I get to go to heaven? What do you want to do for lunch today? I go, what did Jesus' resurrection? What did he have in mind for us? And I think it's the same thing that we've been discovering all through the book of Mark. That Jesus has come, Jesus kicked death in the teeth, not so that we could be spectators but so that we could participate. Jesus Christ rose, he experienced new resurrection life so that we could experience new resurrected life now on earth. I was thinking this week, just kind of praying, going, God, help, help me figure out what this looks like. Like, I wanna live this resurrected life. I, I wanna do more than just show up on Sundays morning. I wanna do more than just read my Bible. I, I wanna be a part of, of living this resurrected life. I'm not okay just, just going through the motions. These three words kind of came to my mind. Three ways that he's been kind of inviting me and maybe inviting us to participate, to live out this resurrection life. Faith, Family and following. Faith, family, following. Just thinking about these three words this week. Okay, God, what for Brandon to live a resurrected life, what does that mean to, to live a life of faith? I think it's twofold. I think we see this all throughout scripture. We even see this in Mark that, that he's inviting us as people who are Christians who have been given this resurrected life inside of us. People who, though we will die, we will rise again. He's inviting us to be people of faith, of deep, like world shattering faith in both who God is and what God has done for us. 
So let's unpack those for, for a minute. You know, I think he's inviting us to be people of, of faith in, in who he is. And, and let's, just, let's just name the elephant in the room. That at the end of the day, that there is an element of trusting in God, trusting in, believing in a God that we cannot see, right? Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter one. I'm gonna share a lot of verses today. I invite you to, to write them down, put them in your phone. I'd love for you to go back and just and check me on these and to think about them this week. 1 Peter chapter one, Peter says, um, though you've not seen God, though you've not seen God, Dalway, you believe in him. Though you've not seen God, Amy, you believe in him. And though you do not see him now, Callie, though you don't see him now, Chris, you are being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, Corinne. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And there's this aspect of what it means for us in 2015, living in Nashville, teachers and businessmen, stay-at-home moms and doctors, that, that what it looks like for us to be the resurrected life, to live in this resurrected life, is that we are people of, of faith, that we believe in a God that we cannot see, and we're okay with that. It also means that we believe not just in God, but in what God's done for us. And I think this is where a lot of us, man, this is where we struggle. That it's hard to, to have faith trusting that God has both forgiven us and given us new life. It's hard to believe, to accept the fact that we're forgiven. We talked about this last week. Dave did a beautiful job of talking about how in Jesus we are forgiven, how all of our, our sins are paid for. It's hard to believe that we're forgiven because we don't feel like it sometimes. You know, this is crazy. I remember sin that I committed and started sinning in fourth grade. 20 years ago. How in the world could 20 years pass me by and I'm still kind of being tormented. I still have thoughts about when I was living this rebellious life against God. And I think one of the reasons we have such a hard time believing that we're forgiven is because our sins never leave our memories that we don't have spiritual Alzheimer's. You know, and so God will say stuff like this in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10. He says the exact same things in Hebrews 8. And he says it again in Hebrews 10. He says, I'll forgive your wickedness. I will remember your sins no more. Hebrews chapter 10, he says, your sins, I remember no more. And he's inviting us to be people that own this, that believe in this, that have faith. That he has forgiven us. He's inviting us to be people that have faith in the fact that he has given us brand new life. I love what Paul tells us in Romans chapter six. He says, for all of you who've been baptized into Jesus, for all of you who've gone down into the water and have come up victorious, he said, in the same way that you've died with Christ, you will too be raised with Christ. that you were put to death in the water. You've been given brand new life. And a lot of us, it, it doesn't feel like we've been given this resurrected life. Why? So often, I don't feel like I've been given this resurrected life because the, on, the honest truth is that, that I still doubt so much. 
I know I'm not supposed to say that because I'm one of the teachers here. That there are so many days where I just wake up and I go, man, are you even there? I have a hard time accepting that I've been given this resurrected life because I still stumble. You know, one of the lies that we buy into as Christians is that once we start following Christ, that, that we never stumble again, that we just, we just march and triumph and we just, all of our sins disappear. We just walk towards Christ and have any, is that any of our experiences? I, I love that. that. That's not even what we see in scripture. You know, you think about Paul, you can go about and read about him in Acts chapter seven, eight, nine. He had this encounter with Jesus, like this, this visible, tangible encounter of the living Jesus Christ. Do you realize that after he encountered Jesus, after he had given his life to him, Paul still stumbled? Romans chapter seven, this whole chapter, Paul essentially says that the things that I want to do are not the things that I do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep doing. And so let's pull that into our world for Brandon. Uh, man, God, the thing that I want to do is just be this bold, courageous missionary that every time I meet a barista, every time I'm interacting with someone who doesn't know Christ, I, I tell them and I invite them. And the good things I want to do, so often I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, I'm so tired of being selfish and jealous and arrogant and prideful. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep stepping into. Christ is inviting us to believe in what he has done for us, to have faith in what he's promised. Second Corinthians chapter five, I love this. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. Take a deep breath, take that one in. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Or Colossians chapter three. When Christ appears, you too will appear with him in glory. You see, Christ is inviting us to what it means to live in this resurrected life right now in Nashville, Tennessee, is that we are people of faith in who God is and what God has done on our behalf. Second thing I think that it means for us to live, and these are not, this is not an exclusive list that we could spend hours talking about this. These are some things that I think God was just putting in my heart, inviting me to think about in the context of our church this week. The second thing that I think it means for us to, to live the resurrected life is that we understand that we are family. You know, you read through the, the New Testament from this point forward and, and Paul and Peter and James, who was Jesus' literally physical brother, he has a book written in the Bible. And John, you know, for, for, the, for the rest of the Bible, they, they no longer call you disciples. They no longer call me apprentices. From this point forward, it's brother, it's sister. John, I love this. This old man, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children. And it's this understanding that, that these guys who had encountered Jesus knew that what Christ had come to give to them, to give to his church, to give to his people, is this understanding that we are family. 
that we are the family of God, both in how we relate to God and how we relate to each other? Do you realize that when we become Christians, when we become Christ followers, when we put our faith in what God has done for us on our behalf, that we no longer relate to God as some distant cosmic being that we try to, 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 to do these things to keep him happy with us. No, that, that from that point forward, we relate to God as father. Romans chapter eight says that for those of us who are in Christ, you know, we relate to him as Abba. We talked about this several weeks ago in Mark chapter 14. Um, who else called God the father Abba? Jesus. Mark 14, he says, Abba. It's a, a nickname. It's this relational, it's this intimate term that Jesus experienced with the Father and he gives us the right to experience with the Father. You know, so many of you, you, you have terrible earthly fathers. You grew up in a house that your mom raised you, and I'm so sorry. I hate that for you. The reality is, if, if God allows you to, to marry and to have children, that, that here's a beautiful thing. You'll get to write a completely different story than the one that was handed to you. But I was thinking about my earthly father. My earthly father, man, he, Steve, he's a great man. He is a great man. And I loved being with my dad, enjoying him. My dad was a farmer, worked for himself. And they were, um, I can't ever remember a, a football or basketball game outside of like a small window of my senior year. Like all throughout my childhood, like, I can't ever remember a game my dad not being there. No matter how far that he would take off work, even if it was in the middle of, of harvest, he would take off and he would be there. He would come home early because he wanted to teach me how to throw a fastball. Like, and so he would be my catcher. I remember this when I was in fifth grade, uh, my dad and I went to Pizza Hut and ate this sausage pan pizza with breadsticks. And how do I remember that from fifth grade? I have no idea. But I remember something about that night, eating pizza, going to this basketball game. And I just loved being with my earthly father. And I think too many of us, we are, are missing this with, with God, that he has given us this ability, this desire for, for us to know him as father, and yet we're still treating him like he's some distant cosmic being. He's going, no, I'm your Abba, enjoy me. I've asked a few people, I texted them earlier this week and I'm just gonna kind of invite them to, to share. And so, you know, I wanted to give us an understanding of some of the ways that people in our church enjoy God. You know, some of us, we, we have no idea what that looks like to, to enjoy the Father. How do we do that in our very, in our very life? And so Jake, what, say it out loud. How, how do you enjoy God? Practice is believing, even when he doesn't feel it. Jill, how do you enjoy God? Hmm. 
It's amazing. Open conversation, praying, whether I'm going on a walk or just sitting outside. Just this open conversation where I'm talking, God responds. Rachel, how do you enjoy God? The kids in the neighborhood that she lives in, just right over here next, uh, right next door, Rachel and Deb moved in and um, she experiences God, she enjoys God just through the children. Garrett, how do you enjoy God? It's amazing. He said, when, uh, I, I like to, when I'm feeling weak, I like to go stand. You know, you grew up in Colorado, stand on top of the mountain and, and to be reminded of who God is or when it's raining to, to go outside and just to, to let the downpour overwhelm me. Or I think about my friend Dolly, who I talked to this week, and she said, the way that I enjoy God is I get up early and I exercise. And there's something about this physical reality, this physical pushing that reminds me that that's what the spiritual life is like. And I want to invite us as a church, people who are living the resurrected life, to enjoy God. To enjoy God, that he is so good and he's near and he interacts with us and, and we are missing out on this life if we're not enjoying him. So I just invite you, if you don't know what that looks like, pray, God, show me how to enjoy you. He will answer that prayer. Part of what it means to live the resurrected life is it changes the way that we interact with God. It changes the way that we interact with each other. And I was talking to Aaron Etheridge, the campus pastor over at the cannery, and I said, hey, what does it mean for, what do you think it means for us to be a family that are, are living lives in light of the resurrection? And he said, man, read Acts chapters one through four. So I read Acts chapter one, I read Acts chapter two, and I just stopped because I was so just mesmerized by the picture of the Christians the end of Acts chapter two, it says that the people of God, they met together daily. They opened their homes to each other. They, they served. They ate together. They prayed together. I'm gonna invite you. Man, we, we are missing out on, on one of the gifts of the resurrected life when we live lives in isolation. Like when you never open up your home, whenever, when, you, when, you, when you never like see someone here in, at Marathon and invite them over to your home and, and, and cook supper for them and sit across the table and get to know their story, get to know their heart, get to know their family. When, when you and I, when we never take the time to open up our lives, we're missing out on, on one of the joys of the resurrection life. You know, some of you guys are in house churches and let me just invite you to not, uh, to not just show up on, on Tuesday night or Wednesday night and just to check the card to, to be there. That when the, the body gathers, that, that you would open up, that you would share, that you would confess, that, that you would be honest and real about where you are in life, where you are with God, that you would lay your, your burdens and your concerns and your struggles so that other people in the room could care. And when other people do that, when they're vulnerable and authentic, would you care enough to pick them up and to walk with them? And I'm convinced that everything in life that is meaningful just requires a little bit more. I invite you this, this morning, before you leave today, someone in this room, invite them into to, to, to your home. Invite them out for coffee and, and you pay for it. And sit across the table and, and get to know some amazing, some of the most amazing people I know in this world are in this room. 
And this is one of the gifts that God is giving to us, that resurrection life means that, that we're family, that we're not strangers, that we're in this together. The third thing that I want to just kind of share this morning, I think what it means to live the resurrection life is that we follow him. We continually find him. We follow him, we continue to find him. Write this down. If this is true of our church, we will be in a good place the rest of our lives. Going where he goes, doing what he asks. Going where he goes, doing what he asks. Man, it's so hard to do. But I believe this is the resurrection life. In this story, Jesus left the tomb. And here's what we know from the other uh, accounts, Matthew and Luke and John, is that Jesus left the tomb and he immediately went to Galilee. And he went from Galilee to, to this little house that the disciples were gathering in. You can go back and you can read this in, in John chapter 21, 20. And um, uh, he, from there, he went to, to this to, to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the picture that you get in the, the scriptures after the resurrection is that Jesus is going because he knew that there were people who needed to understand, people who needed to hear, people who needed to see the resurrection. When Jesus got out of the tomb, he knew that the game didn't end on the cross in the third quarter. He knew there was a fourth quarter that the grave had been conquered Sin and death had been defeated. That life and victory and joy needed to be proclaimed to people who had no hope. People who had no life. I can't even imagine the joy in the face of Jesus seeing him show up to people who thought they'd gone too far, done too much. And I just imagine Peter, you know, we talked about him a couple weeks ago when he betrayed Jesus. Could you imagine what he was feeling? And can you imagine the joy in Jesus' eyes when he showed up and he looked Peter in the eyes and he says, Peter, your betrayal was the third quarter. But the fourth quarter of your life is that you get to get back on the team. It says this in John 21, so take care of my people. Give the rest of your life shepherding and caring for and teaching and providing for. Lay your life down for the body. And Peter does it because he understood that the cross was the third quarter in his life. The resurrection was the fourth. Or I think about Thomas. You know, Thomas is uh, this beautiful story you see in the um, end of in John chapter 20 where the disciples are gathered and Jesus shows up and they're all just amazed and bewildered that Christ is alive and Thomas wasn't there. And so all of them, they go and they tell Thomas, hey, Jesus is alive. And Thomas is so infamous for saying, he says, I will not believe unless I see the, the nails in or, or, or where the nails were in his hands. So in John chapter 20, it says the very next Sunday that the disciples are together and Thomas is there and guess who shows up? Jesus. And he looks at Thomas and he says, Look at my hands, bro. And he rebukes Thomas. He says, stop doubting and believe. Thomas, you gotta understand that, that your doubt is the third quarter. Now get out there. Fourth quarter, resurrection. Part of what it means to live the resurrected life is that we follow Jesus. And what we see him doing, and what we see him doing is that he is going to those who think they've shipwrecked their lives. Jesus goes to those who have betrayed him. He goes to those who doubt. And I think as Christians, so often we live with this mentality of, hey, you come to us, and the picture we see of Jesus is him going to them. 
as the people of God living in the resurrection life, we go where he goes, we do what he asks. You know, the women, they go to the tomb and I want you to notice this detail in the story. They don't discover Jesus. They're told that Jesus has left. Other accounts fill us in on the details. We know that the women encountered Jesus. They did encounter Jesus when they left the tomb. Listen to this, when they started walking in obedience, doing what he asked. If you're a Christian, we are like Christ. We have been given new life. And I had this kind of image in my head this week that for many of us, we're alive and yet we're sitting in the tomb. That, that the chains have been broken, that, that we've been given all this forgiveness, we've been given the new life, and yet for many of us, we're sitting in the tomb, we're alive and we're breathing in the kingdom of God and we're wondering, hey, are, am I good with God? Do I really have the Holy Spirit? What am I supposed to be doing? Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth. So there's not a place that you and I will ever go on planet earth that Jesus doesn't have authority. He says, I've been given all authority. So go and make disciples of all nations. Or in Acts chapter one, verse eight, nine, he says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I go, what does Jesus ask us to do? Like, this is not a rhetorical question. What does he ask us to do? to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses, to proclaim, to show and to tell the world that Christ has come back to, from the grave. And so often as Christians, we make it into work. We make this bearing witness and proclaiming and making disciples, we make it another task on our to-do list and we miss Jesus in it all. You know, the, the mystery of, of watching God change people's hearts and stir people's curiosity. The mystery of the way God changes people completely. And when we, you and I were living the resurrected life, we keep finding Jesus, not in the sense that he leaves us, we have to go find him again. No, we, we start to find Jesus working in our families and in our coworkers who don't know Jesus, when, when you and I embrace our sentness, our mandate to go and to make disciples, we start to discover Jesus all around us. This is where I want us to wrap things up this morning. Three things, you know, if, uh, if you are struggling to believe, whether you're a Christian or not, let me just ask, can, can we pray for you this morning? That here in just a minute, um, Cyrus and Nicole and Carly and Kasha and others are going to, Andrew and are going to be standing in the back of the respond banner. And if you come here this morning and you're just struggling to believe whether you're a Christian or not, if, let us pray for you. I love verse three where it says, the women ask who will roll this stone away? And for many of us, we come in this place this morning and we know that there is something in our way, that there's something that is keeping us from Jesus in the same way that these women are walking and they understood that they didn't have the power, the ability to move this stone. And so many of us come in this place this morning and we know that there's something that we cannot change. It's a place of unbelief, a place of fear, a place of selfishness, a place of sin. There is something in us that, that we know we can't lift. We've tried to change. 
And this is a part that we can't control. This is where we need God to lift, to change. And so if you come here this morning and you go, man, I just, I don't believe. I invite you here in just a minute when Adam gets back and leads us in worship that you'd go to the respond band and let us pray. For those of you who are not Christians, I love this image, you know, the, the white robed man in the tomb. It's like, what in the world is that guy doing? Who is he? Where'd he come from? And I just kept thinking about all the he's and the she's that are put in your path that are pointing you to keep pursuing Jesus. Who are the people in your life? Is it a grandmother or a father or a friend that, that have this deep belief in Jesus that just keep looking at you who don't yet follow Jesus and they're going, man, he's alive, keep going. And I want you to, to, to see and to, to notice that, that your story, if you're not a follower of Jesus, your story is right here in the Bible, that there are people who God has put very specifically in your path for the sole purpose of helping you come to know Jesus. And I go, praise the living Lord for that. For those of you who don't believe in Jesus, don't stop. Acts 2 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew 7 says, everyone who seeks, find. If you're here and you don't believe in Jesus, keep seeking him, you'll find him. The women kept walking towards the tomb with their questions unanswered. It's okay to keep walking with your questions unanswered towards Christ. Second thing I wanna invite you into this morning, if some of you come in this morning and you wanna to become a Christian, I invite you to step in to become united with Christ. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything. All you have to have is a willingness to keep walking, to keep your life open to Jesus. And if you wanna give your life to Jesus, come to the back and someone else will be there and we'll help you. you know, we'll find a place for, for you to, to, to express your faith, to get baptized this morning. For the rest of us, for those who are followers of Jesus, man, we've been given a mission. Hang with me just for one more minute. I think this is so important. I don't want us to miss this. That we live in a world full of people who do not know God. That tomorrow you'll sit beside someone in class who doesn't know God. One of the people you're working for, one of your clients doesn't know God. One of your coworkers doesn't know God. One of your best friends doesn't know God. And I want you to think about this. They don't have the hope and the forgiveness and the peace that you have. They don't know Jesus. They don't know what he can do with a person when he comes all the way in. And we have been sent as a people of God for Brandon to do more than just write sermons and to work with house churches and to be a nice guy that, that I've been sent to, to make disciples. Evan, you've been sent to make disciples. Drew and Megan, you've been sent to make disciples of all the nations. That we get to spend our lives seeing the mysterious work of God and people all around us. And my question for those of you who are Christians is what will you do about it? The resurrected life is the fourth quarter and it is where we're living. I invite us to respond, to press in. Let's pray.